back to another episode of Funviews Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Popst. Today's guest is John Beldy, founder of Century Capital. John reminisces back to the days of crazy stock market floors and screaming market makers before things became digital. He was an options market maker and later became, became an options expert for Charles Schwab's advisors. After focusing on his wife's real estate business in Colorado for years, John decided to launch his own fund. Using option strategies and passive ETF investing, John aims to provide exposure to the broad equity markets while reducing the volatility and risk by a substantial amount. Little known fact, John was a pro bowler before becoming a financial guru. John, thanks for joining me on FundViews podcast. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to, to talk about your background and, and what you're doing over at Century and, and what you've built so far and where it's going in the future. I guess, uh, first question, tell me where, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, how you landed in, uh, in finance and investing. Uh, sure. First, thanks, Ray, for inviting me on this podcast. I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and, uh, and I look forward to the next hour. Um, you know, <clears throat> out of, out of co- uh, in college, um, you know, I started to get an interest in finance. Uh, and one of my first real experiences was visiting the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange uh, and seeing everybody, you know, the market makers and everything is just chaotic. But uh, I was there with uh, one of my sister's friends and he was guiding me around and just saying, it's actually just controlled chaos. If you just take a microcosm of, you know, one of the pits and just learn how the information flows, how the, you know, Technology works. Back in those days, it was paper <laughs> for technology. Uh, so it just it got my interest right away of how fast things can happen um, uh, when you look at it, you know, second by second, and then over the long run, how things you know can can really make a difference if you just you know slow and steady. So that that got me interested, and then <clears throat> after college was graduate school, and that furthered my interest in in finance. Um, so it's, a, it's been a lifelong uh, process through college and graduate school, and, and here we are today. Great. So, so it was that first that's that first trip that you took and, and went to um, uh, see the trading floor, and that kind of peak that 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 pulled you in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was very interesting. I mean, I, not too many people can remember those days of what the floor was like, but it, it's just absolute uh, it's craziness. But uh, but it's very interesting. And, and every day is a new day. Every hour is a new hour. Uh, so that's really uh, it's one of those things that I really enjoy about you know, the finance industry. Yeah, it's it's funny. I always think when I, when I think of trading floors, I think of um, trading places. Yeah. In a movie. Yeah. Where they're like, they're in literally jumping around in like chaos. That's, that's going exactly, all over yeah, that's exactly it. Um, you know, that's pretty much was back in the heyday of the you know late 80s and early 90s was just that sort of mentality of like, you know, just all over the place, but uh, those days are gone, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, let's fast forward, I guess. Through um, uh, so, you finished your your bachelor's in uh, finance. I, I want to say, yeah. yeah. And then, um, and wh- is there a reason you went to do your MBA right away? Was there, um, you know, you know, I actually uh, took a year off. Um, okay. My my goal was to always further my education, and I wanted to do it right away. Uh, you know, uh, to just keep that process going. So I know once I, after college, you, you know, start getting into the job world and to get married and have kids and it's impossible to get back to go that. So I took a year off and I was actually on the professional bowlers tour. Uh, for, oh. Yeah. So it's one of those things uh, I did through high school and through college, competed um, uh, all through college. And, you know, I was uh, good enough to get out there and, and toured the country for a while and, you know, competed professionally. And 
Um, didn't go as well as planned, uh, but at the same time, it was one of those things that uh, I just fully enjoyed and learned a lot about myself. And then after that, I was it was time to to get back to school, and that's when I made the decision to to go out west. Uh, I grew up in the Northeast in New York. I went to school in New England, and I wanted to kind of challenge myself, uh, the philosophies that I had, the education, if you will, of life. And to do that would be to go to the West Coast. Uh, so I really started to hone in on schools out there and applied to Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, which is not a bad place to go to school. Uh, and so I was accepted and I spent two years out there getting my MBA. Good stuff. So I guess from traveling, you you got to see more of the country, more of the world. And, and um, you know, it's it, it's interesting because th- there's always two kinds of people, right? The kinds that, that want to stay put and they want to be in their comfort zone. And then those that want to literally push themselves out of their comfort zone and and, and see new things. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I've always been uh, sort of a nomad, just moving around the country or traveling around the country, talking to different people um, in different regions. They have their ways of communicating um, what their you know interests are, what they do for business, what they do for fun. Uh, and to me, it's always, I mean, the United States is made up of so many different um, uh, cultures, if you will, that's always great to just to go somewhere else and visit it for a while and, and see what it's like and learn a little bit more about yourself along the way. Absolutely. So, so after your MBA, how did you, um, you know, get linked up with uh, Timberhill? Um, and, and what was that process like the recruiting or, or, um, or, yeah, or the first job? Yeah, I was a classmate of mine, graduated a semester ahead of me, um, at Pepperdine, uh, went up to San Francisco and got a job on the Pacific options exchange. And, uh, you know, when I told him, Hey, listen, after graduation, I'm going to head up there and, and see what's going on in the, in the finance field. He's like, well, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you apply for a job with us? Uh, he was working at Timber Hill and he got me an interview with, uh, with the manager and, and, uh, and from there they, they liked what I had to offer. And so I was, uh, you know, asked to, to join Timber Hill and, you know, become, you know, initially was a, a clerk. So basically just running from trader to trader, getting the papers, uh, uh getting the sheets, uh, what have you. And then from there we became a market maker on the floor of the, uh, of the exchange. Interesting. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a different skill set back then. Um, r- running around with paper, as I think the equivalent these days is is the intern that's running coffee runs for the for the for the for the, for the algo traders or something. But yeah, it's, it was very humbling, uh, you know, because yeah. I'm coming out of uh, graduate school, you know, with this, mm-hmm. and here I am, you know, getting you know lunch for people or you know getting yelled at, if you will. Uh, but that's part of the culture, and that's part of like the learning process too, because there's so much that you, you can learn on the floor, but you can't learn in the classroom. Uh, never more true than that of a trading floor. And so you just have to pay your dues and, and you know, suck it up a little bit. And then eventually, you know, there'll be good things at the end. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's always, you know, good just to get your foot in the door and, and learn as much as possible. I remember, um, you know, when I, I, I first graduated with my uh, bachelor in economics and minor in finance, I was, had such a hard time finding uh, jobs because I didn't have any internships. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the funny um, job applications I filled out was for, uh, you know, I was always, you know, kind of like you, I was willing to move anywhere, wherever the opportunity was, I could, I'd move. Um, and I, I filled out a job application as a bartender. But the bartender application was for um, a bartender position for a, within a hedge fund in, uh, in Dubai. Interesting. And, 
And I was, I was just like, you know, envisioning myself, you know, le- first of all, I've never bartended before, you know, in a meaningful way. Um, but I was like, how hard can it be? And, you know, when I get there, then I can talk to all the hedge fund traders, you know, as they're having their cocktails at the end of the day. And like, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot. Um, and at some point be able to get my foot in the door somewhere, but, uh, never got the job, but I always, I, I thought that I was, you know, a brilliant move to, to try and get that position. Yeah. You gotta, you have to surround yourself with the people, um, that you, you want to be part of. Um, and so for you, that's a, that's a great way to get in there, get your foot in the door by just start talking to people. And then, um, you know, you'll come across as, uh, you know, educated and you know knowledgeable and then they'll start speaking and then next thing you know you'll you'll land a job somewhere so that's what happened it took a few more years but (laughs) and a lot of a lot more conversations but uh but that's what happened so so at at timberhill did you did you kind of have a mentor was your was your did your friend stay there very long that that got you kind of the position yeah he he stayed there um you know well after i left timberhill but at the when I was with there uh, at Timber Hill, I had a couple of mentors, actually. You know, there was a couple of people that were market makers. They were successful. And I just, you know, it, you know, I would take in like their trading styles, you know, what they're paying attention to, what's important, you know, their risk controls, um, how they handle the pressure, you know, how they you know get ready for the day, what they're looking at in terms of, you know, the overall markets, their positions. Uh, so, you know, I just took a little bit from a couple of different people um, as, uh, you know, just good information and, and they were always, you know, willing to ask, you know, answer any questions that I had, uh, most basic mm-hmm. questions to the most complex questions. They always took their time and made sure that you understood it. Because once you get in there, um, if you don't know what's going on, it's you can get run over real quick. I bet, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that, that's good. I always, you know, I was I was thinking the other day of men- mentorship and how important it is, and in, um, in especially I think in your first job. Uh, when I, I've talked to a few people recently that are in their first kind of positions and they, they felt like they didn't really have a mentor somewhere. And that's largely the reason why they leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was fortunate uh, to have a couple, you know, like I said, good market makers that I can lean on. <clears throat> and it was very, it's a team atmosphere, even though you are an individual in the pit, uh, working for, you know, a group like Timber Hill. I mean, they really, you know, foster the team environment and you know, everyone helps each other out and, you know, everyone has good days and bad days and we can learn from that. So it was a great environment. Great. So, so uh, next up, you you moved on eventually to um, MDNH Partners. What, what, what was that? Was that role likely the same, or largely the same, or, or was there um, was there differences there? Yeah. So I I was working up in San Francisco uh, for Timber Hill for about a year, and I wanted to move back to New York um, just to further my career. And, and I just missed New York. I, mean, I spent three years out in California. I had my uh, I had some fun out there and I just felt like I needed to go back to New York for career aspirations. So I went back to New York and I left Timberhill uh, shortly after that and became an independent market maker. So with, at Timberhill, it was more like a, a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you didn't really have a lot of risk exposure, if you will. Uh, but once you become independent, um, you're your own boss and you eat what you kill. And uh, it's, a, it's a great learning experience <laughs> and it could be, you know, you can have some great successes and some great failures, but I, I felt that at that point in time, it was time for me to move on to the next step, which is, was become an independent market maker. Uh, so I got in front of um, some of the partners at MDNH, and and uh, they eventually, you know, spot backed me. Um, and uh, from there, I just was a market maker for a couple of years on the American Stock Exchange. Got it. And um, was that still in the, in the pits in the New York Stock Exchange or? 
the American Stock Exchange, so yeah, um, it had a similar style. Um, actually, it was a, a little bit different in some ways. Uh, on the P Coast, a Pacific Options Exchange, it was like trading places, right? You know, it was, it was very chaotic. Uh, on the American, it was a little bit more uh, of a mentality of like, you know, people would participate generally on the same trades. I didn't have to fight as much per se. Uh, so it was just, it was a different structure, a different culture, uh, one that you have to adapt to and know that, you know, you can't bring that old culture into this environment. It actually works a little bit differently. So you had to be a chameleon and uh, adjust accordingly. That's really interesting, especially because, um, you know, the, there's different com- company culture as well and in different positions and, and things, but the, the actual, you know, stock exchange had a different look and feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was. It was surprising to me too. I would figure that New York would be even more, of a, you know, yeah. us, if you will. But the way they had it set up, it was actually not. It was is the exact opposite. So it was interesting. Um, learned a lot of things from it. Uh, just you know, on on how people behaved, on you know what their trading styles were, and that sort of mentality versus say coming back or going back to the Pico's where you had to be a little more aggressive and and on top of it uh, for the most part. Yeah. So, um, so what was next in your uh, in your career? You you um, stayed at how long did you stay at MDNH and, and then yeah, where did you go? Uh, I believe for about three years, um, two or three years, and then from there I was uh, uh, the cabinet partners of MDNH actually uh, funded um, someone to start um, Index Arbdesk. Uh, this is when the ETFs were coming out in the mm-hmm. late nineties. Uh, so they asked me if I wanted to join join the company, and uh, it was a small. Small firm at the time, like 10, 10 people at that, maybe five, five, 10 people, nothing of size. Uh, and from there, I was uh, responsible for data analysis, you know, making sure that portfolios were set up properly, uh, any sort of, uh, you know, activity that would happen prior to the markets open, I was, you know, make sure we had a handle on. Uh, and then I was in the actual pits, you know, making markets on the ETFs and uh, as from there, we, I would also be responsible for developing traders, you know, working, working with the people that were hedging off our risk. Uh, so we, you wear many hats uh, when you're working with a small firm like that. And so it presented a lot of challenges, um, but a lot of opportunities as well. Sounds like another huge learning opportunity, uh, you know, how to deal with people, how to manage people, how to build, uh, you know, a successful business. Yeah, it was uh, the... the the, the challenging part to that is that the information flow um, was the technology back then, back in the late 90s, was not like it is today. Uh, so it was more verbal communication. Um, and, you know, obviously our computers weren't as strong. So we had to make sure that our, you know, analysis was spot on. We had to make sure our communication was very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that, you, you really learn how to you know, communicate with people in a very, very precise manner. Um, and when things go awry, uh, you, heard, you had to learn how to adjust accordingly and, uh, and make sure you can make some you know, quick decisions to correct them. Speaking of uh, things going awry, uh, that, that, was, that timing was right in the middle of the tech bubble, right? And how yeah. did that affect you and, and the firm and, and what happened? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was there in 99 is when I started. And, uh, and so the tech bubble you know, happened right around 2000. And uh, it was, you know, really... It was very interesting to see, you know, we had this huge run up in the markets and all of a sudden it just literally popped overnight and uh, we just started coming in. But the real um, pivot point was 9-11, you know, when that happened, Mm -hmm. it just, you know, crushed a lot of businesses because, you know, for obvious reasons, 
Um, so it was, you know, we, we handled it well. Um, you know, business was starting to, to get a little uh, choppy, um, for lack of a better word. And, uh, and so we just made some consolidations and, you know, really focused in on our, our core competencies or you know, the core products that, you know, made us profitable. Got it. And and at that point, did did the trading really start to digitalize? I'll, I'll call it. And, and yeah, what was that like? Yep, that was when decimalization started coming around. Uh, so it made it a lot easier for retail clients to get involved in the markets, uh, which means that it's uh, harder uh, to you know have a quote unquote wide market uh, just because mm-hmm. of decimalization. So market makers, you know, we're tr- we're starting to take on risk. Um, in the arbitrage world, it's all about you know offsetting risk um, to make a profit. You buy something for a penny here, you sell for a penny and a half. Uh, same thing somewhere else, and you lock in that half a penny. Well, with decimalization, it just collapsed or, uh, all the markets to basically being you know very tight, and it was you had to take on risk in order to make a profit, which is not the goal of arbitrage. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal of arbitrage is to lay off risk as quickly as possible. So it made it very challenging, um, you know. Barriers to entry were low then because of decimalization, but then again, at the same time, to be profitable, it was it, you know a lot of low hanging fruit was left uh, off the table. Uh, so you had to really you know you had to really you know just take on some more risk, which is not really a good idea in some environments. But yeah, got it. And uh, n- next up, you um, you went from a small shop to a very large shop. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, after 9-11, I actually took some time off and I uh, moved out to Montana. Um, I went out there on a fly fishing trip over the summer of 2002. Uh, I was out there for about a month. And and uh, long story short, I, I ran into uh, a woman um, who I had a connection with and went back to New York. And I uh, left my job on Wall Street and put all my stuff in storage. And I moved out the following February and, uh, and just to pursue her. So I took some time off. And, uh, you know, here we are today, we've been married for almost 16 years. And, um, so it's been, it's been a great adventure that part, but how I got to Schwab was that, um, living in Montana for a year and, uh, you know, just having fun skiing and golfing and fishing and what have you, whatever you do in the great outdoors, mm. uh, we decided to move to Colorado. Um, and when I moved down here to Colorado, that's when I got a job with Schwab, uh, on the trading desk. Got it. And so, so what was the role like at, um, at Schwab? You were there for quite a while. I, I yeah. It's, uh, it, initially it was uh, to work on the equity side. Um, and so I was working with, uh, investment advisors, you know, on execution, um, uh, and on the, on the equities and ETFs. Uh, but Schwab also had an option line uh, that would ring every now and again. Uh, not too many people would answer it because they didn't, weren't familiar with options. A couple people did. Uh, but I, you know, with my options background, I just started, you know, picking it up and working with advisors and, and one conversation with one advisor turned into another. Then our, then Schwab's business development officers and relationship managers got wind uh, of the experience that I had and, and some of the conversations and uh, it would start to bring on uh, prospects, you know, to learn about our options offering. Uh, and from there, you know, we grew the desk uh, from just being uh, you know, one or two people on the options as to about four. Uh, so with an offering, you know, that Schwab has an institutional options desk. Uh, so it was it kind of morphed from just the equity side to the option side. Um, so it was a really good springboard and uh, getting back into the options arena. I just really enjoyed the options trading bit. You missed it. Yeah, I missed it a lot. I mean, there's so much that goes on to it that, uh, you know, it's very involved, you know, using some math and 
some analytics and, you know, every day you know, something changes that can change the options pricing or you know, what's going on in the marketplace. And, you know, I would have investment advisors, you know, ask me, you know, hey, how can I take advantage of this movement in the marketplace using options or how can I hedge off this concentrated stock position um, or how can I hedge off to, you know, my portfolios using options and be a good education piece for them and for their clients as well. Sounds like um, you used your similar to the arbitrage approach in, in some ways you're taking risk off for them more than uh, more than anything. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, getting, you know, some risk off the table is always good. You know, you know, clients, you know, investors love to have returns, but you know, when it swings from one month to the next, you know, significantly, they're like, you know, that's, you know, I can't sleep well at night. How can I, you know, reduce that risk? Mm-hmm. So that's when I would speak to advisors about, Hey, you know, there's some option strategies out there that you can use for your clients. Um, that, you know, we'll, we'll enable that to just offset some of that risk. Interesting. So, so moving forward, when when did you um, when did you decide to launch Sentry? And so, two thousand eight uh, was a very interesting year for everyone. Obviously, we had that you know, calamity of the mortgage crisis, um, and the markets you know just were in turmoil. And and working on the options desk at Schwab, you know, I get a lot of you know questions like you know, hey, how can I prevent something like this happening again? You know, it was a black swan event, but you know, how can I prevent you know these big drawdowns? Um, and so, you know, I, I would say, well, you know, you can use options and you can have somewhat of a systematic approach. Um, but then you look at their portfolios and they have all these, you know, different stocks that are, you know, high volatility, high beta, and, and you know, that produces some great returns in, in great years, but on bad years, it's, you know, it's the exact opposite. Uh, so I took my experience in the ETF world, index R desk, and then, uh, my options market making experience. And I basically just married the two together. And started coming up with ideas of, you know, how can I, you know, get long equity exposure, but with reduced risk. And just I used uh, some ETFs to begin with and some options strategies and started to fine tune and some back testing and uh, came up with a model that I thought would be, you know, a, a good product to where you, know, you can get that long equity exposure with reduced risk. And in 2013, um, I funded an account and just had that strategy there uh, solely that strategy to see how it would behave. Uh, Backtesting is great, but you know, until you get yeah. you know money to work, you, you really don't know what's going on. Uh, and so, in 2013, I started it in January, and then um, through 2018 through t- 2019, it you know it was really getting some. You know, I really started to see how the strategy performed, um, especially in a bull market. It was still performing well, getting those you know equity like returns with you know almost half the amount of risk. Um, and then 2019 came time to, for me to really put the, you know, with the rubber meets the road and, and get Century up and running. Uh, and that's when I started to make the decision to, to leave Schwab and, and get, Century, uh, get Century going. Great. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about the, um, the strategy. You're using, the, you're using ETFs, broad-based ETFs, and then you're, you're hedging with the, with the options in, in a way that's, you know, not super expensive of a hedge compared to other ways. I, I I've seen everything from volatility um, trading, you know, l- long Vega strategies, long Delta strategies, and I've seen everything from uh, from just buying S and P long dated puts and, and rolling forward. Uh, yeah, it's it's so you know my philosophy on uh, on the equity space is that you need to be you're going to need to be long regardless, and you can. Try and pick a particular sector or what have you, and say, "Listen, you know, the you know, 
technology is going to help perform small caps this year or what have you. And, and my belief is that, you know, it's so hard to really delve into that and say, you know, we're going to have this huge performance this year. I mean, last year, NASDAQ was almost up 50%. Uh, mm-hmm. And then coming into this year, you know, we have small caps that are leading the way up like 15%. So it was really, it's really hard to, to time that particular. So I made the decision, listen, let's get, you know, a couple of ETFs in there um, that will give us the broad-based exposure, broad-based exposure across the board. So I have large cap, small cap, technology. Uh, this way I'm really, you know, diversifying my portfolio that way. Uh, so that's more on the passive side, if you will. On the active side is where I use the options. And that I'm using mainly a covered call program on those ETFs. Um, and, and I'm looking at the hedge as, you know, a couple of different ways. One, to protect to the downside uh, and also to capture some income just, you know, along the way. Uh, and so I, I can go out anywhere from one week to a couple months, um, depending on where the volatility curve is, and find the, the best hedge for that point in time, and then roll accordingly as the as the expiration comes up. Interesting. That makes sense. Um, you know, in times like these, there's, there's a lot of volatility in certain areas that you can, um, I think, take advantage um take advantage of with options uh but you know depending on whether you're buying or selling options yeah exactly um since uh since i'm long etfs i'm mainly selling options um yeah as volatility moves around especially last year i mean we had a microcosm of of what a full market cycle looks like inside of three months uh that's actually very beneficial to me you know i I like those you know big volatility moves because then i can take advantage of that spike and uh, and collect more premium um, mm. for for an option that I normally would be collecting, say, a dollar. Right now, I can collect for three dollars. That makes a difference. You know, I get more protection to the downside, or I get more income uh, in in flat markets, and then I also have that ability to capture the upside as well. So it um, you know when people you know start seeing this volatility movement, you know, in January, the last week in January, the last week in February, it's actually beneficial uh, to me uh, in some ways, and so I I embrace it, knowing that you know there's opportunity out there. Yeah, I was uh, I was similar in um in that I saw the the GameStop run up and uh the first trade I'd made in years, you know, I sold puts at at a $3 strike price and they were trading at like 32 cents. <laughs> when it was, the stock was over $300, it, it just was a no-brainer to me, but Yeah, uh, it's almost like free money in a way and uh you're paying attention which you were, it's like, you know, I mean the the odds of, you know, they're going from 300 to 3 uh yeah. at a certain time it's just next to nil, so yeah, especially it was it was the options expired in three weeks at that point. Yeah. It was like it was it was crazy to me that people were buying options uh, at that price at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's uh, what volatility does. Exactly, exactly. And so there's always uh, there's always many ways to to make money in the options world, uh, you know, different strategies. So yeah, so so tell me about um about what it's like being an entrepreneur and uh, going out on your own in terms of the you know, setting things up and managing it and getting into, you know, the weeds of, you know, you, you've been working in somewhat entrepreneurial roles in the past and small companies, big companies, and now you're doing it yourself. Yeah, it's, it was, a you know, it was in late 2019, early 2020 is when I started to, you know, really get everything in motion, you know, getting all the legal work set up, um, you know, marketing and what have you and getting ready to springboard, you know, out of Schwab and, and into, into century um and uh very excited for it you know i was anxious as well and i left uh schwab in in february of 2020 uh to get this 
get this going, right? Because there comes a point in time when you just have to say, okay, it's one or the other. I can't do both. Yeah. Um, and so I left in February, and sure enough, a month later, COVID hits. And uh, basically shuts down everything uh, for, for an unexpected time. Uh, so as an entrepreneur, that's a big blow. That's, that's something that is definitely something you don't foresee, plan on happening. Uh, and when it does happen, it's like, okay, so what do I make out of this? You know, obviously I, I can't say I made the wrong decision. Timing is everything, but at the same time, right, you just got to keep moving forward. Uh, you got to keep looking ahead. Um, you got to, you know, just say, Hey, listen, you know, keep moving on and, and something good will, will happen. Just, you know, keep your chin up. Uh, and that's, it's hard to do, uh, you know, easy to say, uh, but, you know, I have a really good support system between my wife and friends and, you know, colleagues that I used to work with and, is to just keep going. You know, you can't can't look back. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you just got to keep moving forward. And so it's it's been a real challenge over the last year. Um, you know, with with COVID, it's, it's almost impossible in some ways to get in front of clients. But <clears throat> when you know, you know, uh, when God hands you lemons, you you make lemonade out of it, right? That sort of thing. Yeah. So so you just make the best of it, and uh, you know, fortunately, the fund was still running, and you know, we performed really well last year. You know, given the extreme volatility and um, I'm really you know, pleased how it performed. I mean, we returned close to 18 and a half percent, you know, with the reduction of about 20 percent in risk. So, so it behaved quite nicely. It was it was really actually a good test for the fund to see how well it can behave in those extreme market movements. Um, so, yeah, and we probably will have. I think we can all agree we'll probably have some more of those types of movements in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's the beauty of it is that we can't predict it. You know, people ask me like, you know, so what do you see? For this year, and I, I said, you know, I just see more of the same of last year volatility. I mean, you know, GameStop comes out of nowhere. The, you know, short interest. Everyone starts learning about short interest now. And then, <laughs> you know, then we have last week in February, people worried about inflation. You know, it's and we have this yeah. movement to the downside, and now all of a sudden everything is is good again. You know, we still have inflation fears, but you know, the markets are rallying the first week in March. So. Yeah, everyone everyone's excited about getting the stimulus checks, and they're already putting money back into the market. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So definitely a crazy time. And, and, you know, I guess when, uh, in your lemonade example, when, when God gives you zoom, you, you make zoom aid and set up a number of zoom meetings, but, um, yeah, it's been, yeah. I mean, that's another, you know, uh, challenge that wasn't foreseeable is, is the technology piece. You know, now it was unheard of to, to have conference calls over the phone, uh, or, or a video meet, if you will, with, you know, potential investors or, service providers or, or what have you. And now everyone's, you know, just have their hands around it and very comfortable with it. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's expect, you know, this is going to be a wave of the future is that, you know, we'll be doing more of these type of meetings, which is, which I think there's a lot of uh, positive towards that. I think uh, it's very beneficial to at least see someone's face versus just having it over the phone. Um, I think as well for the relationship building. Absolutely. So um, n- another question that comes to mind is, is do you, do you, feel like you're still using a bit of the um, talents that you grew at, at Charles Schwab with when you're teaching advisors about option strategies. Do you find yourself doing that with investors or potential investors now through like Zoom and stuff? Yeah, actually, you know, and, uh, and when I was with Schwab and, and talking with advisors about the option space, there's a lot of investors that, you know, are, you know, don't have that uh, knowledge base about options and so it's a it's an education piece first on on the you know the benefits of using options what are options what are they all about you know everyone has uh, some 
negative connotations about options just because of, you know, 87, 2000 tech bubble, um, you know, people speculate that was the cause of it. Um, but, you know, if you understand that they're used for hedging purposes, there's a lot of benefits to that. And so it becomes an education piece at first. And then how we incorporate it uh, into your portfolio can actually be, you know, very beneficial, um, you know, with regards to risk reduction and um, just ease of, you know, you know, peace of mind. Absolutely. So, um, the, the types of investors that you're talking to, are they, are they more like, um, you know, high net worth investors or is it, do you have some advisors that say, Hey, you know, you, you taught me a lot about the option strategies. I know you know it better than I do. I'm going to put my money with you. Yeah. So it's actually uh, across the board. Um, so I'm speaking to high net worth individuals, you know, family offices. Um, and now I'm starting to, you know, look at the SMA world, the separately managed accounts. So mm-hmm. I'm talking with advisors, you know, to get their clients involved. You know, in the hedge fund space, you know, it takes a significant capital to, to get an account up and running. Um, but with the advisors, you know, we can talk to the uh, average retail investor and, and get them going as well to benefit from the strategy. I mean, on the, on the equity sleeve of your portfolio, you know, this fits in nicely. You know, we, you know we're still getting that long, long market exposure, um, but with a little bit more risk, risk reduction uh, than just a diversified portfolio. So I'll be... Uh, yeah, that's the next phase is to get in front of the advisors again and start educating them. Great. And, um, you know, looking back, uh, you know, another odd question, but looking back, do you think um, you waited too long to go independent given the timing? I mean, hindsight 2020, but do you think, um, man, I wish I, I did that five years before? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, we can always look back and say, hey, listen, you know, it would have been better if I would have started this 10 years ago, where would we would be right now? Um, but, uh, you know, at, you know, my wife uh, was involved in real estate and we wanted to get that business up and running first. And so I stayed with Schwab and while well, we got her business up and running and, and now it's, uh, it would blossom nicely and we're very happy with it and very comfortable with it to where now I can, you know, uh, move to the next phase of my life. Um, do I wish I would have started this 10 years ago? It's hard to say because I wouldn't have the experience. Um, I wouldn't have you know the education I have right now about you know what advisors are looking for, what investors are looking for, mm-hmm. and you know just putting that all together. You know, to me, the timing is now. So, ten years from now, you know, we're saying, "Hey, you glad you left ten years ago?" And I'll probably be saying, "Yeah." You know, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, yeah, yeah absolutely. Hopefully, yeah. Um, great. So, so what do you what do you see for the future of Century? Do you do you um, do you see building, you know, this product out, you know, more and more, or do you want to build kind of different strategies? Yeah, so I want to get, you know, this this is the flagship product. Uh, get it out there. It's uh, just domestic uh, ETFs right now, so we just have you know, exposure to North America. Uh, from there, I want to, you know, get an enhanced version of this. You know, so a little more risk involved, and some people like to have a little bit more risk because then they get more returns. Um, and then from there, you know, getting into the international arena. Definitely want to get an international product out there. So a lot of you know a couple of different products in mind I have, uh, and then uh, we'll go from there. Um, and also as well as you know stepping into that you know SMA space, you know, I'd really like to start working with investment advisors and you know giving them the opportunity to to get involved uh, on something like this on a smaller scale for their clients. Uh, this way, people can benefit from that. And, and who knows, maybe you know turn it into a mutual fund. I mean, that would be a, a great opportunity I think for everyone to participate in. Yeah. Or uh, launch launch the next big ETF. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, great. So, last question. Um, and always, it's always a little bit more uh, introspective. 
Um, what advice would you give to someone that, that wants to take a trading strategy and create a fund? I would just say, do, do your due diligence, you know, work, work the strategy in and out, you know, research it, you know, obviously people do a lot of back testing and, and back testing is great. Um, but unfortunately, um, your decisions you're going to make sometimes you already know what the outcomes are going to be. So it's, it's dealing with the unknown. But ultimately, I, I would say, you know, just go for it. You know, don't don't look back. You know, if you, if you believe in something, if you have passion, you'll work through all the obstacles. You know, you'll and uh, and in the end, it'll, it'll be worthwhile. I mean, you only come around this life once, so you might as well just challenge yourself. Um, you know, which goes back to our questions of, you know, me moving around a little bit and, and learning uh, about the different cultures of you know, the United States and just challenging myself. You know, not just you know being complacent and sitting in one place for. For my whole life, I like to explore and see what's going on out there. And you have some, you have some great successes, and you have some failures. Um, but at least you're you're getting out there. So I would say, yeah, just do it. Good advice, I think. So, um, thanks again for joining Funviews Podcast. I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time, John, and and uh, hopefully have you on again in in the future to to teach us all more about more about options. Great, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to that day. And that's all for today's episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share with friends, family, and colleagues to further support Fun Views Podcast. Until next time, 